The sweet sound of sports you love from Sling. The collide of football pads. The squeak of shoes on a basketball court. The crack of the bat on a home run. The slice of skates cutting across the ice. But what about this one? That's the sound of all the sports you love. All at once. Starting at $40 a month. Experience it all live with Sling. Sling. At Bet365, we don't do ordinary. We believe that every sport should be epic. Every goal, every game, every point, every play. From the moments that are legendary to the ones that fly under the radar. Whether it's a game-winning goal in the final seconds of overtime or a shot on the goal in the first period. Whatever the sport, whatever the moment. It's never ordinary at Bet365. 21 plus only. Must be present in Virginia. If you or someone you know has a gambling problem and wants help, call 1-800-GAMBLER. Terms and conditions apply. Well, the mock trade deadline was right. Avery Bradley and Tobias Harris got traded for an all-star power forward out of the 2007 high school class, as we predicted. So, uh, yeah, I mean, where were you when you heard the news? <laughs> I was taking a nap. I thought that if this trade happened, I mean, we had the earlier Woj tweet of how there were discussions. I'm like, oh, well, you know, if there are discussions, it's still going to take a while. And I knew it was going to be a busy night with watching games and all that kind of stuff. And I'm like, okay, I have some time to rest. And and then I wake up to the buzz of my phone saying from one of my friends who isn't in basketball media being like, what's up with this Blake Griffin trade? And I was like, oh, I don't think anything happened. And then I just flipped up my phone and then I saw what happened. Yeah, I missed it initially because we were putting together a, a cat tree for the cats. <laughs> but what are the terms here? So we have it before we blather on any further. OK, so the, the terms of the trade are Blake Griffin, Willie Reed and Bryce Johnson going from the Clippers to the Pistons in exchange for Tobias. Tobias Harris, Avery Bradley, Boban Marjanovic, Detroit's 2018 first round pick, which is very lightly protected and going to convey this year, and a 2019 second, which could be Detroit's. We don't know the exact term. They also own another pick as well, so it could be either of those really. But again, it's a second round pick. And this is a massive trade for the direction of both franchises. There are a lot of angles that we need to go through with this, but I think the choices that were made here are there. And I'll let you talk first because I, I already framed it before this trade was announced with kind of what i want to talk about with it but i'll let you go first because i know where i want to go well i'll react to that because i think it's a study in the contrasts of these front offices and recall of course that the clippers until not too long ago were helmed by rock divers now they've got lawrence frank but also some veteran front office personnel in there not the least of whom is jerry west michael winger from okc mark hughes so totally revamped clippers front office and the pistons of course are still helmed by uh van stan gundy uh, and this seemed very much like a save your job kind of trade for Detroit get a big name in there and now you know you at least get yourself another year and a half to kind of see oh we got this guy in there see how it works but it is very very likely that Van Gundy will not be in Detroit when the financial Pied Piper comes calling and I don't know why I said Pied Piper that doesn't mean anything but uh, when the financial burden really comes which is 37 million for Blake Griffin in 2020 21 and 39 million for him in 2021-22 and when he will be well into his early 30s i think there's a chance he's going to pick up that player option <laughs> that's my that's my go at it but yeah i i think so for 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 me the the story of this trade is the most dangerous thing in the nba is someone who is gming for their job ideally also in terms of the negative somebody who misevaluates talent and so i'm i blake griffin when he signed that contract which was seven months ago just about you and i talked about how while there was a justification for the clippers in terms of their arena in terms of everything that's going on with that franchise they thought they couldn't rebuild steve Ballmer wants a winner that it was an albatross for them that blake griffin getting paid that kind of money for a five-year commitment was a huge mistake and seven months later without any particularly strong evidence to discredit the analysis that we provided Stan Van Gundy not only traded for that contract, or sorry, let's use, I'm going to use Van Gan Sunday, but it doesn't really matter, um, <laughs> is, is that he not only traded for that contract, but treated it as a positive asset. Because when you look at what Detroit gave up in this deal, they treated it like, oh man, this is a good player on a good contract. And that is not the way that I see Blake Griffin on this contract. No, I mean, and after this summer, he has already had a, another knee injury as well that, that's caused him to, to miss time. A, a among many other injuries as well and he really 
has put up the counting stats this year but the true shooting percentage is down taking more jumpers than ever and, and we'll get into obviously the fit for both of these teams on the floor to be sure as well but yeah that griffin contract is going to really hamstring this team going forward i mean and we saw that as a negative asset and they're able to get back obviously that first round pick which i still actually do not expect the pistons to make the playoffs uh i think they probably uh maybe they got a little bit better for this year with this deal but not a ton i would say they're uh, they still got big problems in the backcourt and on the wing now and they're really going to miss harris and it's not like they you know power forward there's a huge upgrade or, or i'm sorry that there is a huge hole compared to the way there is on the wing in detroit uh so you know that they're probably giving up maybe the 13th 12th pick in the draft something like that maybe if they make the playoffs it gets to be 16 or 17 uh and then they're also giving up tobias harris who is a starter on a good contract having a very nice season and avery bradley probably is i mean we talked about on the 15 and 60 yesterday is at least in my opinion maybe the most overrated player in the nba but still a quality starter and a guy who teams might have been willing to give up assets for to try to continue to compete this season and we'll see if in fact the clippers try to move him again here um hilariously he can, he can actually be traded back to boston now uh if they wanted to do that but nonetheless that we they took what we think is a bad contract and they got a first rounder and tobias harris a starter on a good contract and avery bradley who also has some value they did have to take on boban which was kind of bad money uh, so that's a little part of this as well that's positive value flowing back in detroit's favor um and then they're also getting that second rounder too so it does seem like very clearly if you just look at what's going each direction in this trade it's to the clippers benefit and i think it's even stronger than that i mean i haven't i don't like doing grades people know that because it's something easy you can point to but to me this is in line with an af time time trade so an a for the clippers and f for the for the pistons because of how hamstrung the pistons are now you talked about how they they got out of boban's contract in this they did not get out of john lure's contract in this so if you think about the money that they have tied up for the next three seasons in terms of big men who can't really play any other position those three guys combined to make 67 million in 2018-19 so not even this year and then i think it's over 70 million in 2019-20 so this is your team they're not going to have cap space there's no real way for do that they don't have their own first round pick this year so they're basically married to the mid-level exception and things like that to improve this team they have one of the weaker wing rotations in the entire league now so or sorry uh i use the term swingman for twos and threes but we can go, you can go in whatever direction yeah but so those two positions they're they have one of the weakest rotations in the league now and so they don't really have ways to get better and griffin and drummond are both talented guys i think that while griffin is shooting more threes now than he was before it's not like oh my god that solves all their spacing problems or anything like that tolliver i, I saw as a more aggressive shooter and somebody you had to defend differently than griffin i do like that blake is going to be able to have the ball in his hands a little bit more but outside of that there are a lot of problems here and remember also i talked about their weak wing rotation one of those guys is stanley johnson who we just spent a few minutes yesterday talking about how he can't shoot and so he becomes a, a different kind of player on this deal in, in, in after this deal as well so i don't think the pistons make sense they're completely locked in to what they're doing and there's no real way out of it other than theoretically like trading blake griff or sorry trading blake griffin or andre drummond which brings its own challenges because other teams are gonna wisen up to blake griffin's contract they probably already have and then drummond is, is a whole complicated other thing and you know he, he i think he'll be a better value on his contract than blake but i don't think his game is going to age particularly well either all right we got to talk a lot more about the financial implications here as well take you through where everybody is in terms of the tax and talk about the fit for these teams on the floor we haven't gotten to what's going on with the clippers yet so much to break down in this trade but first this for me undies you'd like to look good for your significant other this valentine's day i would assume and if so you could check out me undies matching pairs which is a fun gift for you and your valentine they are made from the softest materials on earth three times softer than cotton i own many pairs of me undies some of them were sent to me by the company and i bought some other ones because as soon as i tried them i realized that they were much more comfortable than any other pairs that i own they're the kind of underwear they never bunch up you forget that you have them on 
they really are just fabulously comfortable they have a lot of cool patterns kind of wild patterns more basic stuff as well and once again valentine's day is a great time to get started with them if you're a first-time purchaser get 20 percent off plus free shipping when you purchase me undies matching pairs they guarantee that both you and your significant other will love your matching pairs or your money back 20 percent off matching undies for you and your significant other and that 100 percent satisfaction guarantee order by february 5th for free standard shipping at meundies.com slash cap space that slash cap space url is remember we'll be talking about that plenty with regard to the pistons and clippers very shortly meundies.com slash cap space is that url go to meundies.com slash cap space and let them know that you came from us so let's talk a little bit more about detroit's financial situation since we started getting into it now we released our, our projections on patreon if you're a patreon subscriber we've already got those out here less than an hour and a half after the trade went down we're going to continue to do that through the trade deadline line and of course we do that for all the big signings in the off season as well so adding blake griffin's 29.5 million for this year he had a 15 percent trade bonus he actually quietly signed for slightly less than the max about 200k lefts so the way it's going to work for his trade bonus he can't get all 15 percent because you can only go up to what your individual max would be so he gets about 200k this year and then 200k added to his salary for the remaining three years of the contract before uh that player option that he might potentially pick up uh, for uh 39 million in uh 2021 22 um and so that means but he gets paid by the clippers about 860k as of this moment but right now then adding griffin adding reed and bryce johnson who has uh, his third year option declined uh, both of those guys uh, are free agents at the end of this year they are 2.2 million below the tax uh, so they still have some operating room if they want to make some more moves or get someone on the buyout market they have uh, not very much left uh, of their full bin level although they could use the bae as well but they should probably save in. it for next year probably yes but uh and then next year they are already committed assuming they bring back reggie bullock who is uh 2.5 million non-guarantee but he's actually been starting for them so they'll probably want to bring him back and then they got eric moreland who uh, is also going to play he's right right at the minimum uh 1.8 million for next year so he uh, or or with all those guys in they've got seven million or so below the tax line for next year and you imagine they would not be going into the tax uh, given uh, unless this team just really starts performing uh, quite a bit and so they wouldn't be able to use their full mid-level next year uh, might be able to bring in a few guys see if they can purge some more salary potentially and they also would have to or wouldn't have to but they probably would want to re-sign Anthony Tolliver and actually did they use, I think they might have used the BAE on Tolliver this year come to think of it he's making 3.2 million uh so I think they must have 3.29 million you are correct they used it on anthony tolliver so they don't have it for next year or this year yay <laughs> yeah so never mind on that uh but so they're basically limited to uh, close to the minimum now they've got a little bit left of their full uh mle they used uh 6.7 million of that uh, of that 8.4 on Langston galloway this year so well i think they actually used all of the rest on eric morland because they gave him more than the minimum oh uh, yeah all right so, well that's that's the danger of doing these immediately 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 after after the trade but uh, so next year though they'll probably be limited to uh, not spending their full MLE next year. So to add to this team. And, and now what do they have on this team, right? I mean, they've got Reggie Jackson still out probably for another month or so. Uh, they've got Ish Smith at the point. Langston Galloway has been in and out of the rotation. Uh, Luke Kennard is starting for them right now at the two, I guess, uh, with Bradley out. They've got Bullock to play the three, but not really any elite defensive options there. Uh, and so they're going to rely a ton on Blake Griffin's playmaking. And, but Blake's post up there's going to be no room there uh, with drummond who is uh, just as limited of a threat outside of a few feet as deandre jordan is and doesn't have the advantage of years and years of experience playing with blake to avoid gumming up the spacing and then you also mentioned stanley johnson who's their best defensive option on the wing but as we talked about yesterday is not really elite there and then he's really struggled to shoot as well so i don't see this team getting a ton better and really the one they do add someone who's probably has more one-on-one 
skill than they had in the past which is griffin but that one-on-one skill is bludgeoning smaller players in the post and he's not gonna really have the room to do that with andre drummond around he also won't have as much spacing in terms of his passing ability just because they don't really have a ton of that even on the roster i don't particularly trust reggie shooting canard can yeah there's some some elements of that that he can bring but they they're gonna need a lot more talent there and as i said they have limited means to do so so yeah i think personally i think this trade is is more likely than not an absolute disaster for the pistons it will certainly win them some attention just like certain moves that other teams did where they signed veterans and it was like oh look at look at they're really making moves over the summer and then it didn't really work out that's really what this is this is a headline move rather than something that really helps them unless blake griffin really defies expectations and that could happen he's talented enough to do so but he's not put in the circumstances that are particularly favorable to make that happen the one way that i think just to to play devil's advocate that maybe this works out is just maybe griffin is just so good of a passer and drummond has improved as a passer as well that maybe they can make the spacing work just because they have that much passing in the front court now and that with the shooting around those guys maybe they can really bludgeon guys on the boards as well um they do have pretty good mobility among griffin and drummond in the front court for being a traditional front court maybe blake continues to refine his three-point shot to some degree although there's nobody to really set him up either but they do have more passing than they've had and griffin even though he's not what he used to be provides more one-on-one scoring as well so maybe this works out to some degree and maybe with uh, with kennard and with reggie bullock who shot it very well on three-pointers this year uh, ish smith and bg is just an awful fit unfortunately <laughs> you know that that's not too good i don't know how good of a fit reggie jackson is with griffin either well and how do you um, feel about this so, defensively so yeah. that's another concern that i have i mean it's not certainly not yeah. awful but i mean you're sitting there going okay well you you're going to need your other players to do some heavy lifting because drummond i think his defensive capability is higher than his actual impact so far and they don't have much defense on the perimeter right now or at least defenders that can play offense i think they're a little bit better defensively they'll be much better on the boards now yes that's true Griffin and drummond uh, harris was an inadequate defensive rebounder they didn't really get any any rebounding at all from their front court outside of drummond they were a surprisingly bad defensive rebound team despite having you know one of the best rebounders of all time uh, on the team in drummond so i think it cleans up their defensive rebounding i don't know that griffin is that much worse than harris is defensively although he's going to have a massive offensive workload so that's going to be a part of it but griffin is not as bad of a defender as he used to be especially as the league has evolved more towards switching now he can keep up with a lot of guys on the perimeter i don't think that like moving his feet down the perimeter he's much worse uh, than harris would have been uh, and so i think they could maybe get a little bit better defensively uh and maybe a little bit better offensively th- this year because as we mentioned just getting rid of avery bradley taking you know 25 percent usage at 50 percent true shooting will probably help you as well to just get guys who are going to space out and shoot three-pointers so maybe they they take a little bit of a step forward this year um a lot of it depends on what you think of bradley so i'm coming around to it a little bit more as we think about it now just for this year but i mean your your other problem though is uh blake griffin known to suffer an injury or two certainly with his declining athleticism you expect him to fall off and this you know this is going to be the best year for this group i really don't see any way that they can much improve going forward unless reggie jackson just comes back from this ankle injury and then just has a great summer and is unbelievable again you know i shouldn't say he was never unbelievable but you know it becomes a really quality starter again next year um and i see griffin just continuing to decline and and i don't really see a way out of this for quite some time as well on the blake griffin help front he's missed about a third of the clippers games over the past three years combined he played 67 then 35 then 61 so that's from 14 15 to now and as as you said already missed time this season due to the knee issue and with blake he has certainly gotten more skilled and that has helped offset his athleticism decline but his athleticism decline is also a part of this i mean we're we're not going to see even the blake griffin that we have today two three years from now that's just the way this works like I, i always think back to something i think kevin pelton wrote it about how your physical peak is basically always declining from when a guy enters the league it's just that they get more skilled and that offsets it and then why a guy's prime is where it is is because that's when the skill development is outpacing the physical decline and with Blake Griffin we're past that point probably now and so yeah he, he's taking two threes a game so far this season that's the first time or he's making two threes a game it's the first time he's attempted more than two in a game average that for a season ever 
So we'll see where that goes. But this is a long-term contract for a 28-year-old who is already kind of on the wrong side of a lot of the things that you're looking for. And that is a major concern for the Pistons because, as you said, it's hard for them to get better. Let's turn to the Clippers now. First, from a financial standpoint, which I think is the bigger component of this, by being able to include Reed and Bryce Johnson they are now at 14 roster slots and they are 629,000 below the tax by my calculations and that is probably enough room to eventually convert one of their two-way guys they're going to wait the, as absolutely as long as they can to either do that with uh Wallace or CJ Williams who is out with an ankle sprain right now but also fortunately not using up service time uh but the more interesting part is next summer they still have Boban on the books that's taking on bad money for next year but of course they get off of griffin avery bradley expires he'll have a 13 million dollar cap hold you have to imagine though with his 8.8 million he's not going to be a part of their long-term plans lou williams of course expires as well deandre jordan of course expires as well and so they could get to under at least one scenario if they moved on from patrick beverly who's non-guaranteed for five million next year if they wanted to wave and stretch Milos teodosic who has two million guaranteed but also has a player option for next year they could get to 24 million in space also including of course uh, that draft pick and you know there's other things they could do as well to try to get off of austin rivers or get off of west johnson and they could open up even more space you know they might be able to get to paul george land in terms of about 30 million dollars or so if there was an indication that he wanted to come there um and then the year after that they really have nearly nothing committed at all it's basically danilo gallinari is their only large salary at 22 million and you have to imagine gallo will be the next guy they try to move he's actually supposed to return as early as tuesday now to open up a little bit more space but they've got plenty of room now for over the next couple of years and Woj tweeting with numerous clarifications that they're going to try to trade still deandre and lou williams but also try to do reasonable extension talks with them at the same time and avoid bottoming out while still setting a new direction and getting more flexibility and blah 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 uh and it seemed like this was just such a good deal that they kind of had to do it who knows whether they even were like really like yes we really want to trade blake griffin as opposed to detroit saying hey we'd really like to get blake griffin who knows who started these talks uh which apparently were ongoing for about a year or so but uh, seeing all that with this new financial reality or how it looks on the court i mean whatever you want to react to here from the clippers standpoint danny it's amazing to me that they got off the contract i think that's the most significant part of this but where they pivot from there those two basic choices really where you can clear out because avery bradley and tobias harris are value they're they're positive assets on their current contracts you know tobias harris even if his three-point shooting isn't the ridiculousness it was early in the year he still makes 14.8 million next year it's a descending contract which is great for them bradley 8.8 expiring this year so if it were me and i were aggressive that they i would try to move those guys again and just say hey we can get some assets for it avery bradley's going to get paid on his next contract we don't know what deandre jordan's going to do all that sort of thing that's where i would be going if they go the more measured route those benefits get muted a little bit just because depending on how they use their space and all that kind of stuff but again like we've seen with the Clippers before it's like there's a rationale for that I just disagree with it so I'm not as enthusiastic there but the crazy part about this is I believe their roster makes more sense now after this trade than it did before I mean Avery if they keep these guys Avery Bradley can be a a defensive linchpin for them they can play him at at the at the guard spot with without Lou Williams with without Tate Dosich Tobias Harris you can put him at the three and the four depending on what other guys you have around it like there's a lot that you can do with it it's far from perfect obviously but the roster was already far from perfect so I could see them doing kind of keeping Doc happy or however you want to see it and keeping those guys together and actually being similar if not better to what they've been so far this year and while I don't think that's the right thing long term I actually expect that to be where this is going yeah Avery Bradley is a nice fit with Lou Williams and with Teodosic because neither of those guys can defend it all on the perimeter the Gallo Harris front court is certainly not the greatest defensively I think we, we can acknowledge that but hopefully they want to play those two guys together too much they, they can bring in CJ Williams again once he's healthy they've got Wes Johnson still who can defend at least a little bit better than those guys hand can and then you've got a good shooting option in either Gallo 
or Harris to go around pick and rolls with DeAndre and Lou Williams or DeAndre and Teodosic and I think while those players aren't individually as good as Griffin it kind of fits better as long as you can get Lou Williams and you know who's their best player of course according to Chris Paul uh, who they're going to play through uh interesting that Blake's kind of last moment as a Clipper was that big win over the Rockets where he had like his jersey torn and like got into all those altercations with people and now he's he's no longer there it's it's pretty crazy to think about but yeah I think they do fit a a little bit better I wouldn't expect a significant downgrade from them this year it's just going to be a a very interesting question of playing time now in the backcourt between Williams Austin Rivers when he comes back clearly Austin Rivers should be the one who's left out but you know his father's the coach so you never know about that Uh, Bradley Teodosic Tyrone Wallace who's been really good for them although Wallace can play some three as well and he can't shoot it also the fact that they have more shooting on the floor should help the the fit with him so yeah I don't expect a massive drop off from where they've been I think they'll continue to be around 500 but then of course there's a chance that DeAndre and Lou Williams could be traded as well and and if that happens then they will fall out of playoffs yeah now they they also really need to stay healthy now because it's kind of it's a it's a patchwork but it's a patchwork that can hold if everybody's there together and that's it's interesting for for what they're going to do and I still think of Gallo as a significant negative on his contract beyond the health stuff I just think his game isn't aging particularly well but it only ever takes one team you know that's really the story with the Blake Griffin thing and he's he's a star as well so Stan Van Gundy saw him differently than we do and reasonable minds can differ but I think that we've been borne out on that so we'll see with Gallo and then with DeAndre Jordan he's more complicated because he's not under contract he can do whatever he wants and so the combination of this and the DeMarcus Cousins injury like he now becomes the probably the preeminent center in free agency whether that means anything or not is a very different thing I'm not counting Jokic because Jokic is a restricted free agent right is a totally different thing and teams aren't going after him with the expectation of getting him so I don't know how DeAndre feels about that but there uh but that's something there and then one other thing that I think we should discuss in this because of our our part in in this whole thing in terms of the CBA is remember that one of the points of negotiation for Blake Griffin it was of course the years and the dollars as it always is but also the prospect of getting a no trade clause and he did not get a no trade clause in his deal but he did get the full maximum with a fifth year player option so whether he is happy about this however he feels about this move this is why you secure a no trade clause should not getting traded be important to you because seven months later he's gone to a place that he would not have given a meeting to had he gone when he was a free agent yeah and this is also a great reason to get your money though uh right because sometimes you the, the reality of life in the nba is that you can be traded and as far as getting the no trade you know, i'm not sure that he had the leverage to do that i mean apparently steph curry didn't even have the leverage to get a no trade which i still think he probably could have fought a little bit harder for with the warriors but it certainly does not seem that the culture of the nba really allows for no trades except in very civic circumstances and that smart front offices just refuse to give them under any circumstances it's kind of like where they don't want to set the precedent in the nfl We're like no we just don't do that you know like they they try that approach it'd be interesting to see next time around which players are, are able to extract that sort of thing but in a premium market like la and he clearly wanted to be in la i think that was a big part of the uh, appeal and certainly you know the clippers are getting killed for the whole hey we told blake griffin he's gonna be a clipper for life and their presentation at staples center was like a mock jersey retirement ceremony of like retiring the jersey of the greatest clipper of all time and you know i think they gave it a go to some degree with griffin it's not like this team had been awesome this year he got hurt again patrick beverly got hurt i think if they were on path for 50 wins maybe this trade doesn't happen but i think they also got bowled over to some degree by this pistons offer to actually get this type of value for griffin given the nature of his contract and my last thought on this is a few years ago i talked i I wrote a piece that got a lot of crap on the sporting news for arguing the case for trading chris paul and then it, what was originally in my idea, but I didn't include because I didn't want Clippers fans to find my house and burn it down, was that they was the same idea with Blake Griffin, basically that it was time to move on. And the part of it that I got really wrong is that I thought basically once you got past that point, their value was going to drop. And with both of these trades, the Clippers did far better than I expected, given the negotiating position they were in. They got a, a quite a haul back for Chris Paul, who basically opted in to facilitate the trade. So he was about, on his way out. And then in this case, they somebody overvalued Blake Griffin. So 
I have to give credit where credit is due that I thought those assets were going to depreciate. And while I disagree with why they didn't, they ended up getting the results that worked out in the same way much later. Yeah. And perhaps this is a lesson to us where now Griffin is a different animal than some of these other guys that are potentially going to get dumped in terms of bad salaries because he is still productive and he also in theory provides a boost in the box office. I mean, if you've seen the inside of Little Caesars Arena, that's not your eyes bleeding. It's just the seats there are red and you can see a lot of them. Uh, perhaps the least exciting, least interesting arena, new arena opening in NBA history right now in Detroit, where it seems like there are fewer people even than there were at the Palace of Auburn Hills. So maybe they, that was a component of this feeling like they needed to acquire a star and Griffin, even as of this very moment, is probably the best player they've had in a Pistons uniform since 2008. That means something in that market, I suppose. But And it means something to Stan Van Gundy to be able to acquire a player like that. But this still remains an expensive team that's at best a, a lower rung playoff team in the East. And that's now. It's just going to get worse there, I believe. Let's do a little more news here. Oh, actually, one other thing that I thought was kind of ironic. I forget who it was who pointed this out. But all of the people who convinced DeAndre Jordan to resign and, you know, in theory, barricaded him into his Houston home, which obviously that was a, a joke, but that whole emoji thing on Twitter back in the summer of 2015. Oh, yeah, they're all gone now from the Clippers and DeAndre is the only one who's left. That's kind of funny. It tells you how quickly this th- this all can change. And the Clippers have, you know, they've made the playoffs since then. It wasn't like, oh, this was a total disaster and nothing went the way they wanted. It was just that it, things didn't work out in that way and they got they were able to get assets for them. So yeah, a couple other things that, that we need to talk about here before we get to uh, Jim Boylan, the Chicago Bulls uh, assistant coach. Joakim Noah left the Knicks for purportedly personal reasons, but it's not really personal reasons, maybe personality reasons <laughs> more accurately. The story there from Sam Amick adding a little bit of color to the situation was that with Porzingis out and with Kylo Quinn out, Noah was told, hey, make, make sure you get ready to play like we're going to play. He'd only played you know less than 40 minutes on the season. And as a proud vet, he got ready to play and was not inserted until the fourth quarter and only played four minutes and then was taken out. And he was really upset by that. You know, the, the Knicks did not really manage expectations there. And then he continued to get into it with Hornacek at their next practice and as a result was sent home and and no indication she'll be rejoining the team they are looking for a solution to move him but obviously he may be the most immovable contract in the nba he probably is at this point and he would love to get a reset and go somewhere else but he's also apparently not interested in a buyout and so if you're not interested in a buyout you're going to get the luol dang and you'll just not play and probably maybe not even be around the team unless he's willing to give back a significant amount of money because as we've noted once you buy a guy out or once you stretch him that means that he's just stuck on your books you can't trade him away should you need that flexibility later so i don't expect him to go anywhere anytime soon i don't either and i i I think i'm gonna write on this at some point but one of the key dates in this is actually and i'm sure noah doesn't want to hear this is september 1st because september 1st is when you can't stretch a guy for the that year of the contract but you can stretch them for the next year and that right now is what i would be leaning towards if i were the knicks is keep on his full cap hit for the 2018-19 season because they're not going to really have any flexibility anyway so you're not losing anything and then if you think that you're going to spend in 19 in the summer of 2019 then you can stretch that final year and you can do that before the season so you clear that roster spot yeah if he were to be stretched this offseason you're looking at about seven million dollars per season for the next five years dead money on your cap and again as you said doesn't really make a ton of sense to open up you know 10 million in room or something by stretching him for this year unless there's some amazing plan that they have in the work but where they are as a franchise i think they're unlikely to make the playoffs this year it really makes sense to just keep swallowing that extremely disgusting medicine and you know maybe in the summer of 2019 you stretch him especially if Kristaps porzingis does not sign an extension and then maybe you can finagle some cap space using porzingis's cap hold as a restricted free agent in the summer of 2019 that's what i would be pushing for uh if i were the next a couple of just injury and health related pieces before we before we let this go uh trevor reza has what has been reported as a left hamstring strain he left sunday's game and he will not play in the rockets next game i can't remember whether that's monday or tuesday joel Embiid was originally it was very exciting he was going to play in his first back-to-back of his nba career but then after they lost to the thunder the sixers changed course and he is not going to play monday night against the bucks yeah it was due to heavy loading uh in that okc game 
apparently since he played the whole game and i think that will do it for us here we'll be right back with bulls assistant jim boyle and this is a fun conversation get into a lot of the technical aspects of defense coaching defense and his move from san antonio to chicago among other topics so stay tuned for that right after this from sherry's berries they and pro flowers have teamed up to help you impress your valentine this year with their perfectly paired collection you know why they're advertising here valentine's day is just around the corner so this is a one-of-a-kind gift with those fantastic sherry's berries dipped strawberries and the flowers arriving together in a beautiful specially designed box that will keep your berries cold and your flowers fresh guaranteed i've gotten plenty of pro flowers flowers before always delight my significant other or her mom as well the way they send it it's guaranteed to keep the flowers fresh there's all these instructions on how to take care of them as well and they last for well over a week in my experience if you follow those instructions and those dipped strawberries are absolutely delicious right now my listeners can save 20 percent on any one of their perfectly paired combinations or any other gifts over 29 dollars as well so you can go there and check it out with hey guess what the promo code is cap space easy to remember we've been talking about cap space all the time on the program and you know that's the promo code for every single one of our, our sponsors as well so the way to do that go to berries.com b-e-r-r-i-e-s.com today enter that cap space code at checkout that'll get you 20 percent off that perfectly paired gift over 29 dollars or any other gift over 29 dollars at berries.com promo code cap space enter that cap space code let them know that you came from us now i want to welcome in jim boylan associate head coach of the bulls uh, under fred hoiberg also worked in san antonio under greg popovich he was with Rudy tomjanovich in houston as well as well as a head coach at the university of utah jim great to have you on thanks nate excited to be with you yeah so uh, one thing i wanted to talk about first really before we get into some some more of the specifics is just to talk a little bit about you know what you guys core philosophies are at the bulls and just the, the coaching profession in general you know if you want to look at what your core philosophies are just from an x's and o's standpoint both offensive and defensively with the bulls what are some of the things that you guys really have been seeking to emphasize under fred hoiberg well i I feel like offensively, you know, we want to play with pace. I think that's Coach Hoiberg's number one goal is for us to play with pace um, and not be mistaken for quick shots, but quality shots, try to get good looks early in the clock, try to push the ball, try to put pressure on the defense, um, try to run things that get us shots before the length and, you know, the defensive presence sets up in the half court. So that, I think that's A1 is, is to try to get our guys to run and, and play faster. Um, defensively, you know, we kind of believe in the math here. So, you know, take away corner threes, uh, contest the rim, limit rim opportunities, and make people play between the three-point line and kind of restricted area. And that's everywhere I've been uh, defensively in Indiana. We had a great defensive team. That was our philosophy. San Antonio, um, terrific defensive team. And, you know, uh, make people play in that middle ground, make people play off the bounce. So uh, those are kind of our two core uh, basketball philosophies here. You know, play with pace and that defensive end keep people in front of us make them play over us contest the corner threes and protect the rim so one of the things that you talked about that, that i wanted to elaborate on a little bit more you talked about playing with pace on the offensive end and one of the things that's really you know if you even compare today's game maybe to five years ago and certainly 10 years ago you'll see guys you can come down if you're off the dribble and you're open and shoot a three-pointer really early in the clock when was it really and pretty much any, any nba team can do that now you know they're but it seemed like 10 years ago, even if you were open for a three early on, that probably would have been considered a bad shot because you're that early in the clock. When did that really begin to change for you? And and I mean, or just in your observations, and what was it you think that made NBA coaches say, you know what, maybe this is a good shot to take an open three, even if it is early in the clock? Well, a couple things. You know, I think the defense is, uh, the defense league has advanced, um, you know, from the schemes to uh, the athleticism to people switching more. So an open shot's an open shot. If it's early in the clock and you can get a good quality look, I think you have to take it. Uh, I also feel like, you know, people are playing three and four shooters on the floor at the same time. So sometimes that open look comes earlier. So again, I think you have to take it. You know, in the old days, you didn't have, you know, the four man didn't shoot it as well. Now we have 
five shooting it, uh, the five man shooting it. And, you know, so uh, we felt like, I know, you know, Coach Pop was big on open looks. You know, can we get uncontested shots regardless of where they're at in the clock? And those are, you're going to make more of those than you are contested shots. And I think that's what's happened. People just realize whether it's early or late, if you can get an open, clean look, you know, let's take it. And um, it's been fun. I think it's been great for the league and the scores are up. And, uh, you know, guys seem to really be enjoying the way the game's played now. Yeah, you know, it's interesting. That's a good point is that maybe more of those shots are being taken just because there's more people who can take those shots now, right? I mean, you know, if you had Reggie Miller, he probably could have taken that shot at any time, you know, if it was early in the clock. But, you know, if, if you had, you know, a traditional four, traditional five, that's not really available. Like that trail three wasn't really available as often. So, yeah, that, that's an interesting point that it's not even so much that you want them to take the shot. It's just there's more guys that that actually is a good shot for. And so the opportunity is there more often. I agree. And the other thing is that the NBA game now uses more of the floor. Uh, you know, the, the sprint to deep corner, um, the spacing is better. All, all those things have contributed to those the higher three-point attempts, higher three-point makes, and the whole floor is being used now. And I, I think it's it's helped our game. It's, it's, it's made it uh, more fun to watch. It's made it more fun to play. And, um, and also, you know, all those long rebounds, too, lead to runouts. All those long rebounds lead to sometimes offensive rebounds and more threes and it just kind of all fits together and it's uh it's exciting i you watch a game now compared to 10 years ago it looks like a totally different game Nate. oh yeah yeah it's amazing well i was lucky enough to be living in in arizona actually 10 years ago so i might have been the one guy who uh (laughs) watching watching the suns who uh it it doesn't look that different but even then like i mean the suns were taking you know they're making like nine threes a game back then and that was considered amazing and now that's like you know the worst team in the league is making nine threes yeah the numbers have just they've gone up so quickly and they keep rising um again i i think the skill level of our guys the development of guys that can shoot the ball at every position and then the then dynamic guard play you know where guys get downhill uh, make the defense shift spray it out and then you know play the two-on-one game on the backside is is just uh it's fun basketball and it's simple and you can do it a lot of different ways and um I think you have to give that Phoenix team credit for kind of starting that and Houston building on it. And then you start doing the math and, and you get the guys upstairs figuring out the math and, and that sells it too, right? That that makes sense too. So hey, t- Don't give away Steve Weinman's secrets now. <laughs> Steve Weinman's a sharp guy. He's really helped us. Uh, he uh, He's fun to go up and talk to and kind of banter back and forth. And he's fun to argue with about certain stuff. Uh, he uh, he believes in the math and, and he does a great job of supporting us. So – uh, just from as a coaching staff I mean, when you're really just you know this is the type of thing coaches just love practice right and obviously you don't get as much of a chance to do that in the nba as you might in college but just what are some of your favorite drills to run for some young coaches who, who might be listening to this or just people who want to know what's going on in nba practice just for you guys as a coaching staff like what do you think are just some of the the best basic drills uh that you can run to try and keep your guys sharp well one thing that that we do here that that i think is maybe different than other places but everybody has their version of the shell drill. So your stance, position, you're communicating your position to support your teammate. And some people call it the shrink, uh, gap defense, you know, whatever your, uh, whatever your name of it is, pack line, you know, where you have pressure on the ball, but you're in your gaps on either side. Tom Izzo calls it six eye help. You're in six eye help. You know, we, we call it five man shell. And um, a lot of teams do four man shell. We believe in the five man shell with either the center high or the center low. And that's where the NBA is at now. The center sometimes is high and sometimes the center is low, but you you have to be able to defend in either situation. Also, the freedom for the center to trap the box, the freedom for the center to challenge plays at the rim, but have his back covered. It's kind of the, the help the helper philosophy. Yeah. So we do that out of five-man shell. We also do it out of diamond shell. And those are two things that I think have, have really helped us, um, which gives Robin Lopez the freedom to protect the rim, but knowing that the backside is covered. And then, you know, we work on the X out, X, Xing out the backside, covering the corner. And within that five-man shell, you know, we build our seek level concepts. Uh, we build our trap the box concepts and we build our shift to close concepts. So um, I think that's one of the better things we do here and we've done with our young team. 
and you know trying to get guys that maybe are more offensive players than defensive players to at least be in the right position, start the possession in the right place, and hopefully that helps them finish it in the right place depending on what happens. So uh, you know we talk a lot about one-way help, uh, not being two ways. You know where they get to pitch out threes or they get to nail pitch threes. Well, yeah. yeah. So so explain yeah. to that what does that mean? What one-way help? That's not so, a term you know, that I've heard let's before. Say the, let's say the ball's in the slot you know, off the elbow in the slot, and that guy drives the nail. Well, we want to protect the nail and be one way. So on that drive, we're in, inside foot to the midpoint, ready to spray out to that slot, to his slot. So we don't want to be out guarding the slot and then run in to help and be two ways, where you run in to help, and as you're uh, running yeah. in, they're pitching that ball back out, and they might get the slot three, or they might swing to corner because your stunt to stunner is not as good, and your one-way shift wasn't as good. So um, those are those are things you, in our philosophy that you have to work on daily. Yeah. And again, be one way so you're shifted already as that drive happens now you close and um it's it's hard for guys to grab that concept it's hard for guys especially young players to understand how far they can come and if they react on the the flight of the ball as soon as that ball leaves the passer's hands they can recover because guys at this level i thought they can cover ground they just don't always realize it yet and maybe they haven't taught the right technique so we spent a lot of time on that, and uh, again, you know, trying to keep people in front of us, not give up open threes, and then any penetration, you know, trying to rally the penetration and then work our way out of the next pass. And yeah. um, you know, I love it. I, I think that's the fun part of practice. And then you, you kind of put it in. We put it in one on one, two on two, three on three, four on four, and then about December fifteenth, we go to the five on five. So it's not <laughs> something we do from day one. Interesting. Uh, everything's a progression, and we kind of graduate to it. And uh, feel like our guys have kind of mastered the four on four and then you put the fifth guy in it and then you really talk your shift and close concepts so yeah it's so, exciting so, when, you know when the yeah. guys get it nate you know it's fun. <laughs> yeah and so i i guess if i can try to translate what you're saying here it's basically when some before someone starts this drive you want to be in help position so that then yeah. you know you're kind of deterring the drive by already being there and then you're mentally ready that as soon as that pass out goes you're ready to, to close back out, out on your man and because like you know something like Harden I think is unbelievable at this where if you're not there yet as soon as you take even one step towards him he throws the pass right past you right so it's like yeah. LeBron, so, LeBron's been yeah. it too we call oh, it a yeah. zip pass the zip pass you know they they see you leaning or you're you're coming in when you should be going out and they're going to hit you with that zip pass and then you know they create those open looks uh, Harden's also great at splitting the nail where he pulls the ball through and stretches through and you know gets the fouls and he has such a big glide and stride step that he can stride yeah. through that nail and, and make plays uh he's so strong that way yeah so, he so, so you're talking about like when he'll he'll kind of i've heard coaches talk about it as as the harden where he'll kind of extend the ball out in front of him yeah, bring his arms exactly. bring his arms right through i actually just hit my microphone demonstrating it in, <laughs> in front of me but yeah he'll br- bring his arms through as that guy if his body is not there he'll just you know if he sticks an arm out yeah. to try to go for the steal harden will just bring his arms right through and then it's a foul and and you know you can probably get an yeah. and one off of that at least at least under the old yeah. rules yeah so you know he he gets the ball past the defender's body by stretching and official sees that he sees that he's kind of gaining advantage and he gets more calls that way yeah if the ball was tucked or not past the defender's body it wouldn't look the same so there's a visual part to it too for the officials you know along with the technique and uh that's a special skill by him and some guys are starting to pick it up too other guys are starting to get it and, and understand it but what, what we talk about is recovering to your help position so let's say maybe you you chase a guy over a flare uh, let's say you exchange on the second side. Well, we want to recover to a help position, not recover to where we're hugging our man. Yeah. And, you know, so you have to determine what's the first side, second side. Some people call it strong side, weak side. You know, um, there's middle third, outer third, you know, so all those kind of concepts of where you're at, what position you're in, what space you're in, and what the action is, you know, you can drill that in that shell drill and, and, and kind of hopefully, you know, master those concepts. And uh, we spent a lot of time on that, Nate. So as a coaching staff, and you, you've hit on a little bit here, but like, what is something that your team, you know, if you practice it and you see the team do it, where you and Fred kind of look at each other on the bench and like, yeah, that's that's what we wanted there. Like, what, what is the stuff that just really like gets you excited as a coach to see your team execute in a game? Well, I, I think defensively, you know, 
we like teams that have activity and communicate and can adjust. And, you know, I was privileged to, to be with the Spurs and during that championship run in, in 14. And, you know, we could change pick and roll coverages in the quarter two or three times. And our guys could adjust and they could adjust to the activity or the action that's going on in the game with activity and awareness. And uh, when you see teams that can flow into their defense and maybe one possession switch it, they communicate it. Maybe a, a, a guy comes off clean and they switch a pin down where they talk it out and get it covered and they wipe the post. So to me, it's those teams that can anticipate what's going on. If they make a mistake, they can cover for each other with effort, you know, toughness, communication. Um, you know, I, I like watching Golden State. I think they do a great job of knowing when to switch and when not to. And then when there's a situation maybe they, they're not in control of, they can work their way out of it. Um, and I felt like that team in 14 with the Spurs was like that too. You know, we could work our way out of situations and help each other, support each other, communicate. And, um, that's, that gets us excited. And we're trying to incorporate that with our team. You know, it's communicate, you're a family, help each other, protect each other. And, you know, schemes are one thing, but things happen in the game where you just have to react. And yeah. we're trying to instill that into our guys. Yeah, I think that's a, a, what a lot of people don't understand about personnel is that, like, it can't all be coaching. It's got to be some pattern recognition from the players to really be like, all right, I've been in this situation before. We can do it on the fly. We have an understanding of, all right, you know, who, who maybe we're not, both not an our man but you've i'm bigger than you and you've got a bigger guy let's just switch behind the play you know that that kind of stuff it makes such a difference yeah. in today's getting NBA, under non like. you know getting under non-shooters keeping it simple um yeah. you know switching equal switch partners we call it you know just those basic simple things and then you know the league sometimes this like the side pick and roll scheme right now you know uh, people are exploiting the blue coverage or the ice coverage right. you know the force forcing the pick and roll down people are exploiting that now with the short pick and roll the pocket pass extra so you know i think there's a place sometimes for just keeping your man in front maybe even pushing them to the middle of the floor on a pick and roll you know it doesn't always have to be a force down it doesn't always have to be a coverage where you're creating a driving lane to the hoop uh because you know defense defenses can be figured out and, and offenses have, have evolved into where you know they can wear that situation out when that blue defense was put in 15 years ago or whenever it was i think i was in houston when that started but you know there wasn't the extra shooter on the floor nate yeah so now there's an extra shooter out there and so the blue defense the force down doesn't always apply and i think yeah I mean, because know, with a pick and pop are, big on that on a side pick exactly the pick so and pop harder. the pocket yeah. extra you know all those subtleties of the pick and roll offensive but, game but what's a pocket um, extra by the way real quickly for, so that's when I have you know how the either. big rolls kind of big kind of short rolls yeah and they throw it a bounce pass to him in the pocket right there right so and then, then he takes it and finds somebody else maybe it's corner maybe it's slot so uh, the pocket extra maybe it's to the room he, he passes it to the to, to guy underneath the basket you know um where they put so much pressure because the, the ball's inside your defense yeah and you can spray it out or you can take it to the rim and and because you've brought two to the ball in your in your force down coverage, now they're playing numbers on the backside, and that starts with that pocket pass. And um, you know Boston kind of started that uh, with the Doc Rivers team uh, with Garnett, where they would get in the pocket and they you know they'd wear people out with that, and people have adapted that, and it's really put pressure on uh, your team defense. Well, so I wanted to talk a little bit more about your your personal history, and it's really interesting to me just the idea of how it is that coaches you know get the jobs that they have how it especially for assistance how do you move from job to job so can you just kind of tell the story of how it came about uh, that summer uh that you made the move to chicago and and what that interview process is like i mean and i'm sure people would love to know just like how even you prepare for like a, a coaching interview well i think i think one thing that's uh, really important, I think, for young coaches and, and something I really believe in is you, you're never really looking for the next job. To me, if you're trying to do the job, you have the best you sure, can. Yeah. And I think that's that's Because if they didn't of, say, if where you were in the last place didn't say you did a good job, you're not getting yeah. another job anyway. So Yeah, that's. Yeah. I mean, I, I just think that's like A1, you know. Do the job you have the best you can. Help your head coach, uh, you know, with your work ethic and your honesty. And, you know, don't be afraid to have the tough conversation or, or you know, uh, suggest what you believe in, you know, from the work you've done and your experiences. So to me, that, that was that's the best part of it, you know. And then um, 
going from the Spurs to Chicago was a, a very difficult decision in a lot of ways. Um, and uh, the Spurs have a great organization. They were unbelievable to me. I learned a ton. I grew there as a person, as a coach. My family loved it there. So it was it was it was more about the opportunity in Chicago uh, to help Fred and to help the franchise. I was really impressed with the ownership here and Gar and John and you know uh, they obviously felt that I could help. They felt that uh, there was a role for me here, and I was excited about that role, and it worked out. And uh, it was not easy to 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 leave the Spurs, but my wife. And I felt, um, you know, for our family that it was a, a good move. And, um, you know, we're thankful we're here. And, uh, you know, we still have those relationships with the Spurs. And, but uh, we still have our house actually in San Antonio. So um, uh, it's a dear, dear place to us. Yeah. And, and when you, you know, did you have a relationship with Fred before you, you uh, moved to Chicago? Not really. Uh, I didn't, I didn't really know Fred. Uh, he, he had, I had met him. Uh, he had come to, a, when I was at Utah, we played LSU in a preseason game. And it was a big game, and there was a lot of scouts there. And he was scouting for, or he was working for Minnesota in the front office. And after the game, he he was at a dinner at uh, I think it was P.F. Chang's. A bunch of scouts went down there, and a couple of guys asked me if I wanted to show up down there and have something to eat with him. So I went down there and I sat next to Fred. And that's yeah, if it was met. scouts, it was either P.F. Chang's or Cheesecake Factory, right? Yeah, and uh, <laughs> and um, so you know, I sat next to Fred, and we had a real good conversation, and and we had we had a big win that night, and played well, and. And um, I don't know. He just he just seemed like a really genuine, good guy. You could tell he just passionate about the game, and and we had a good talk. And that was kind of it. And then um, his opportunity came up here, and um, they contacted RC. And then I was actually in Treviso at um, at the Treviso camp. Uh, at the Euro camp and RC called my, uh, you know, called my cell phone. I can't remember, I can't remember what time of day it was, but it was, it was like uh, middle of the night, I think. And that Chicago had an interest and did I want to talk to him? And, you know, so we went through that process. So that's kind of how it all started. And I flew in from Treviso into Chicago and met with them and, you know, how Nate things happen quickly. So uh, the pop was very supportive and, and uh, kind of helped walk me through it and gave his suggestions and what he thought would be good and not good. And uh, RC was very supportive too so um you know once you're a spur you're just always kind of part of that family and yeah and they're just terrific people you know what 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 you hear and what you see is, is exactly who they are so uh they made it real real easy for me and and they were very supportive and fred you know fred's one of those guys that you know the first time you sit with him it's like you feel like you're sitting with family you know so uh, that made it easy too so when you you find out in Teresa you're going to be doing this interview you've only got i'm guessing a couple of days um what are you doing during that time are you are you trying to say okay you know if he asked me about this here's what i think we should do with our existing personnel or like you know, are there suggestions or is the interview kind of more just a because i when, as a lawyer for example we would get asked very few actually like technical questions in an interview for whatever reason it was all about just what's the personality fit going to be like so is it kind of more of, of that type of interview or are they really like hey you know technically what do you think you know or some ideas yeah. that we might want to implement there were some technical questions um there was i was i I also came prepared with, I think, a pretty good working knowledge of the team. So, I, you know, I did some studying of the team. I had, you know, two or three days where I could, you know, you study their stats, study their numbers, study their roster. Um, you know, it's 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 just basketball. You know what I mean? It's, yeah. It's, you know, it, it, and I don't mean to sound like flippant, but it's, it's you know, we're, we're all in the league. I think we understand the league. Um, and, you know, it's there's certain things you need to do in our league to win. You know, you got to guard, you got to rebound, you got to run back. And it kind of all starts with the basics. And so we really talked about the basics in the interview and, and my background a little bit. And um, they did ask me a few questions about the team, what I thought. And, but, you know, I, I think also when they, when they bring you in like that and you're the first guy in, I think think they, they kind of know they want you, Nate, and yeah. they just want to kind of talk to you a little bit, see where you're at, and, and then the negotiation started. So, um, you know, I was really thankful for the opportunity and, you know, wasn't sure what I was going to do right away and, and just we kind of worked our way through it. So, um, but uh, I think the other thing, too, is you can over-prepare. You can over-analyze. I think you have to trust your instincts. You have to trust your gut. Um, you have to rely on what you've done and your body of work and, um, you know, the knowledge of, of, of the team and the league, and I, I felt like i did have a lot of experience there yeah i think it's interesting what you said about you know they had a pretty good idea that, that they wanted you i mean that's you know maybe for us out here in the public it's tough to tell okay you know what what is jim boylan doing exactly for for the bulls and you know what credit
credit do we give to him uh, for their success but within the league i think it seems like people really have a good idea of like who is doing a good job and you can get a, a good reputation because it is such a small fraternity yeah i think you know it is it is a small group of guys and it's um i think we're all trying to just improve and coach our guys uh, have our guys grow but you know hold them accountable uh development's big here uh you know i, I learned a lot about development in indiana and and uh in san antonio before i got here and yeah. you know, i think that's one thing that fred has done a great job of and of developing kind of our young core and our guys and having them play with confidence and feel good about what they're doing and where they're going and um you know just just having a feel for uh that you, they're a good player and they can help us win and then put them in a situation to do that and that's been fun you know with this group of guys and it's been fun to see our guys grow and uh, you know fred's done a great job with that and you know you have to give gar and john credit too i, I think the culture that's been set this year and, and the way our guys are playing and supporting each other and working together it's, it's been a really fun year really fun year so, so you mentioned player development can you just take the, for those who you know are not in an nba or before games and obviously are not in practice just how do you kind of break up the individual work you know whether it's workouts for individual skill development whether it's film are there you know a certain coach who is like assigned to each player or do you split that up like how do you do that with the Bulls well we have you know, we we have coaches who are assigned to uh, individual players um, for their on-court work, their individual on-court work, which is before the game, but also, you know, before and after practice. And then we also have assignments for film, uh, who we watch film with, who, who we support with film. You know, guys learn a couple different ways, right? Some guys are tonal and visual, kinesthetic, whatever it is. So we, we try to hit them on all those levels and, you know, just try to have them absorb as much as they can. Um, you know, like I'll, I'll watch film with Don and, and Mark and and Levine are kind of my guys, and Zach's just got back. So, and then you know, uh, Coach Myers will watch film with Bobby Portis and Chris Felicio and Robin Lopez, and you know. But we we don't we're not as rigid maybe as other teams where we all help each other. We all can show anybody film, and you know sometimes we mix it up to give a fresh voice. Sometimes we mix it up to give a little different perspective. And then you know Fred watches a lot of film with guys too, and you know from the head coach's chair, I think it's important too that you know. Uh, he watches with him and puts time in and, and Fred does a good job of that. He enjoys that. And, you know, Pop was, I thought Pop was great at, you know, picking a guy and, and at a certain time, maybe during the year or whatever, and just sitting with him and watching film and maybe help him through a tough spot or maybe help him grow in a different way. And so, uh, you know, the old adage, it kind of takes a village, Nate, you know, I think yeah. it's that way on our staff too, you know, it's, different guys can reach different people. Sean Respert's our player development coach and he helps everybody and works out everybody, but he also has guys that he spends more time with and kind of younger guys, or maybe the guy's not playing as much. He keeps them ready. So he has a voice and a former player and, and, you know, a uh, guy that's been hurt, a guy that has, has been in the league and understands it. So he's been a big addition to our staff this year and um, a big help. And it's been fun for me to see him here because, you know, I coached him in college at Michigan state. So, uh, uh, kind of cool to have him on our staff too oh yeah wow that's yeah that's uh i forgot about that the, yeah that you, that yeah, you've been there at that time. player man yeah <laughs> yeah yeah, uh, so let's. Uh, you're. Uh, you say you work with Lowry a lot uh, before the games for just to use him as an example. You know, he's obviously a fantastic shooter. Uh, you know, fastest to 100 threes of anyone in NBA history in his rookie year, but ha- has a unique skill set. But when you go out there with him, whether it's before a game or before and after practice, how do you decide what you're going to work on? Do you figure that out ahead of time, or you kind of see how he's feeling that day? You know, like yeah. what is just we the script- plan of like what we're going to do? on a day-to-day basis yeah we script all that yeah and those workouts are are set up to incorporate some of what we do in our system and also maybe what a guy needs to work on and also to get him ready and loose to play the game so it's kind of on a couple different levels obviously sometimes you have 10 minutes sometimes you have 15 minutes at the most i think it's 15 we sometimes cut ours back to 10 uh, depending on fatigue levels and number of games played and all those kind of things so those things are discussed uh, during the day but um you know Lowry's one of those guys that's kind of fun to work out because you know he can play in the post he can play facing he can drive the ball he can so 
you know, you're kind of touching on all those areas and uh, just trying to get him ready to play the game and obviously refine his refine his skills. But it's 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 more about the repetition and 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 just making him feel comfortable. And you know, he's so smart that it's you know he's a pretty easy guy to deal with and work with. You know, he he just picks up things so quickly, understands um, at a young age, you know, kind of what he needs to do. So uh, he's a pretty low maintenance dude. Yeah, everything you hear about him is that he's uh, yeah. an awesome guy to work with. Going back to to college and, and uh, with the finished team. All right, so last question here because I, I know you gotta you gotta get going. You had started the year really rough patch screen twenty. I think I saw it kind of the nadir for you guys. I was out in, in uh, Golden State when you had that really rough loss to, to the to the Warriors. But since then you've been able to turn around, and some of that, of course, is getting healthy. But other than that, like what have you guys been able to emphasize as a coaching staff that the team has implemented that accounts for some of that improvement? Well, first of all, Fred has done a great job of you know holding the group together during that time um we never felt like we were in a losing streak we never felt like we were three and 20 which as you know that's usually not the case right yeah but we we just never felt that way we worked hard in practice guys were listening film sessions were good um people were were locked in and and passionate about what we're doing so I was really thankful for that as we were going through that. And then we started to play better. We got healthy and sharing the ball, playing for each other, um, understanding our end of game package. You know, I know you've seen some of our games where we've won some close games at the end and, you know, uh, putting the ball in the right position with the right guys and making plays at the end and seeing that growth and having games maybe when during that losing streak where we failed to do that, but maybe made the right plays, ball didn't go in. Maybe we didn't make the right play and we learned from it. And, you know, we were up 16 at Indiana, I think, with five minutes to go and lost. And the next night we played at Charlotte and won. That's kind of when that that's kind of thing changed. I also feel like we got we got a little ticked off. You know, we got a little upset. Hey, we can't keep doing this. We can't. And we kind of gritted our teeth and uh, we kind of refined our edge and, and we started playing better. So it's a combination of things. But I think Fred does a great job of keeping our guys loose and positive, uh, but also holding them accountable and um, having them grow. And, um, you know, nothing grows without some shade, some sun, some rain. So we've had a little of all that and, and our guys seem to be developing and, and getting better and it's fun. Yeah, I mean, is there any thing that you just feel like from a, a specific standpoint that just you've been able to do better as the the years gone on uh, on the floor other than the late game stuff our player movement you know i i think being able to move the ball and and moving bodies and 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 moving the ball i think at one time we were one of the top teams in the league at, at player movement and and just having the ball move around the horn having guys share it move it um i think that's if you can get that unselfishness to a young group um to trust each other and share it i think if we could keep instilling that culture you know it's going to be a hell of a year for us nate all right well thanks a lot jim really appreciate you coming on and appreciate also uh we'll see hopefully the audience can uh translate some of the uh coaching concepts you gave earlier you're you're over my head even a little bit there at times but that's that's what we want on the show and hopefully we're able to uh, educate people a little bit more about uh some of the nba schemes and uh we really appreciate you coming on this is great okay nate thank you for the time take care at bet365 we don't do ordinary we believe that every sport should be epic every goal every game every point every play from the moments that are legendary to the ones that fly under the radar whether it's a game-winning goal in the final seconds of overtime or a shot on the goal in the first period whatever the sport whatever the moment it's never ordinary at bet365 21 plus only must be present in virginia if you or someone you know has a gambling problem and wants help call 1-800-GAMBLER terms and conditions apply